everyone. This is John White again, and, and welcome back to the Rural Matters podcast. Um, it is actually the leading podcast on rural education, health, and the economy in rural America. And um, thanks for joining us. These are important conversations for all of us. And I learned something new every time I do one of these podcasts from our guests. So I'm sure that if you're joining us, you're also one of the people that is making a difference in your community. And thank you for listening. Please tell your friends and neighbors to listen as well. Rural Matters is actually on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many other places where you look for podcasts. So tell your friends to join us as well. We, we try to put out an episode twice a month, and they, you can actually rate us on iTunes also so that we know how we're doing, and you can provide feedback to us with an email on uh, new topics we can explore or even just general feedback at ruralmatterspodcast at gmail.com. So our guest today is Carrie Wynn. She's the assistant professor at the School of Psychology at the University of South Dakota. She's in the Division of Counseling and Psychology in Education. So we'll be talking with her about mental health issues in rural areas and the role that uh, school psychologists play. And actually, one of my questions is going to be, how prevalent is it to have a psychologist when you're talking about a small rural school many times in remote areas? So welcome, Dr. Wynn. Am I saying your name correctly? You bet you are, John. Excellent. Can you please tell us just a little bit more about yourself before we dive into our questions? My name is Dr. Carrie Oyen, and I am an assistant professor of school psychology at the University of South Dakota School of Education. And I'm so honored to be here today uh, talking to you about best practices in mental health and, and really how to transform the role of a school psychologist and a school-based mental health provider. I'm a South Dakota girl, born and raised, and I came up through the School of Education. And it's been fun for me because I came from the world of practitioner. I was a practitioner for 10 years in a small rural school district in South Dakota. And then I worked on my PhD. And now I have the honor and privilege to be able to be a professor of school psychology here at the University of South Dakota School of Education to be able to really talk about how we can transform those best practices uh, into action that really can make a difference for kids. And so we uh, are spending a lot of time uh, doing some research to really try to inform those best practices so that schools can, can take a look at how can we systematically improve mental health for kids in rural schools. Excellent. So when I worked at the U.S. Department of Education, um, I was privileged to go to 42 states in about four and a half years. And I can tell you that rural communities are very different depending on where you are in the country whether you're in the Northeast where you know, maybe it's um, a place where the economy is struggling because the paper mills have, have run their life course and shut down, or whether you're in Appalachia where the coal fields aren't as busy as they used to be, or even in Alaska, which is so remote. And in some places, you just don't even have basic uh, infrastructure and facilities. So as I think about the landscape, can you describe what the landscape of mental health is across rural areas? Oh, I love this question. Uh, what we really have been looking at is, so historically, giving you a little bit of a picture of the history of, of mental health in rural areas, uh, primarily when we think about the research, it's almost non-existent. 
And so I know that for myself, I have been looking into the, the history of rural school psychology and the impact on mental health in schools. And when I started looking at literature, I found that most of it was from the 1980s. And perhaps two articles since that time, uh, taking a look at the practices in rural settings, how might they differ from other settings, urban settings, suburban settings, things of that nature. And what we really found is that perhaps it's not so much the practices that are taking place, but it's this idea of the context in which you are doing these practices that might be. Um, and it's also the, the idea that we might have to be more systematic because there are such a lack of resources in rural settings in terms of being able to provide that one-on-one -on -one intensive mental health services. And so what I'm, what I'm seeing in terms of the landscape is that the needs have become more and more. We know that one in five children in, in America have a, a diagnosable mental health disorder. We also know that of those kids who have a diagnosable mental health disorder, approximately 70% of those kids get mental health supports through their school setting. And so we know that there's this critical need. And we also know that the system in which we probably are more likely to be able to give them the help that they need is more than likely the school setting. And so I think that the landscape is such that the need is high. Manpower might be a little bit lower in a rural setting. However, I think that there's ways in which we can think about systems. And if we think about those systems, that we can try to do some things that, that would help all kids be more successful in school. Well, expand upon that a little further. You're right. Research on rural education period is fairly thin. And, um, and I can imagine that when you're talking about a targeted subject like mental health, it's even thinner. So talk about sort of the best practices and the way that people around the country are collaborating to share what's working and to, and to look for the, the challenges that, that are faced in different parts of the country. I think that's a great question to think about. I think that oftentimes in research, what you'll notice is that, that oftentimes research spends a lot of time talking about things that, that aren't going so well in rural education. Uh, they highlight things like, why is, why is it hard to be a rural school psychologist or a rural teacher? Uh, it talks about things like geographic isolation. It talks about things like uh, not being able to have access to significant amounts of professional development, certainly that community. And so I think that for me, the thing that is exciting for me is that I spend a lot more time talking about things that people are doing that really are working and ways in which we systematically might be able to respond to students that are struggling with mental health. Uh, so, for example, in the state of South Dakota, we have a very high uh, suicide rate. So uh, we're actually number two in the nation for students ages 15 to 19. We're actually number one in the nation, uh, number one in the nation uh, for students who are zero to 19. So it's not something, you know, we're, we're oftentimes not number one, uh, but in this case we are. And it's something that has really, um, it's been really near and dear to my heart in terms of we know that uh, the number one reason that, that students might uh, engage in suicidal ideation or suicidal behavior is oftentimes from a diagnosable uh, mental health disorder. And so when we think about prevention systems, we really have to start thinking about, you know, what can we do for all kids in schools? And what can we do for some kids in schools? And what can we do for those targeted kids that need the most intensive supports? And so uh, what we've really been seeing uh, across the nation, certainly uh, across our state, 
is we're trying to engage in what we would call comprehensive mental health systems. It's kind of a catchy term, uh, but the idea is that we would engage in prevention systems. Uh, so when I first learned about this, I actually learned it from a book that's called Transforming School-Based Mental Health Services by Dolan Cummings. It's uh, from 2008. But I loved how they thought about this. They talked about risk factors and they talked about protective factors. So risk factors are those things that certainly we know can contribute to poor outcomes for kids. You know, things like having a single parent home, things like having poverty, things that are that are oftentimes these these risk factors that, that contribute to poor outcomes, poor attendance, all of these kind of things. The other side of it is that we also know that there are some some things that kids have protective factors that allow them to persist despite all this other evidence. We, we're trying to figure out like to the contrary that all of a sudden they are successful, right? These resilient factors, you know, things like having peer support. You know, I might not have a high income and I might be in a poor remote area, but I have some perhaps peer support that helps me be successful. Perhaps I have some good academic skills that helps me persist, uh, you know, despite all this other evidence. So what's interesting and about- that shows the importance of, of the rural school in some of those areas where you say they're less populated. The school has to be the center of where they find that support, I would think. Right. And so what's been interesting for me, so I work with a lot of these schools and what we've been doing is we've been saying, you know, what are some things that we can do for all kids in our rural settings that would help everyone be more successful? Things like teaching all kids how to be able to cope with the everyday demands of a school environment, teaching all kids how to be able to deal with conflict or how to be able to, uh, you know, get through conflict with with either a peer or an adult. And uh, so I think that what I'm seeing is that these rural schools are now becoming that hub, that community hub that's starting to teach uh, some of those some of those things that perhaps students that, that have a lot of these risk factors might not be able to to get in their in their other environments. Uh, the other thing that I'm seeing is that as kids demonstrate more need, we have to be more creative about how to address that those needs. Um, my example to this is that I, I am uh, I sit on a lot of committees at the National Association of School Psychologists. And one of my favorite stories is that we were introducing ourselves to this committee. And I remember going around the table, people were saying who they were, you know, saying things like, I am one of 25 school psychologists. I'm one of 10 school psychologists in my district. And so when it came around to my turn, I told them that I am the best school psychologist in my district and the department head. And I just happened to also be the only school psychologist in my district. <laughs> and so I can give myself all these titles, which is quite humorous. But and, and I you're think, serving how many schools in your district? So in my district, I had uh, I served uh, five schools, but then one closed. And then I served four schools. Okay. Yep. And so and, and to be honest with you, it's also the. When I think about I'm also the president of the South Dakota Association of School Psychologists and, and many of our school psychologists serve, you know, nine schools, 12 schools. You know, there might be a, a, a plethora of schools that you end up serving. And, and those schools can be one building pre-K to 12 kind of education setting. So uh, so we do have certainly a, a big swath of, of rural educators. But I do think that this idea of bringing light 
to what these very small microsystems are, are doing that are really helping kids be more successful in school. I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot to be said there. And, and I think there's a lot of hard work going on. And for me, I think the, the problem in rural America is that sometimes we have a hard time communicating that out. You know, things that we're doing really well. We, we tend not to be maybe a, a braggy bunch. And so uh, some of the things that I think that are really going well in terms of mental health and really addressing things like teaching kids coping skills, teaching kids social skills, also even really doing some intensive work, you know, really talking about some intensive behavior support planning, things like that, really bringing light to that in rural settings. Uh, I think that not only could that inform uh, these settings that might not have significant access to mental health providers, but I also think that, that it can inform a lot of people who feel like, you know, I've given a lot of money and I put a lot of different personnel in these schools and I'm not seeing these outcomes. Uh, and mm. so maybe it's less about personnel and manpower, and maybe it's a little bit more about how we are using effective systems to help kids be more successful. So talk about that a little bit further, as in if you're the these school psychologists for five schools in the entire district, talk about what that looks like day to day. You can't be in five schools every day. Yeah, and, and I think that that's, that's something that I've really learned from my own practice, that what you end up having to do and the magic word that I that I've usually coined this as is that you have to build local capacity. I cannot possibly be everywhere at once. And so what you end up doing is that you say, OK, here are these universal systems that we can use. Things like teaching all kids about conflict resolution, teaching all kids about coping skills. Those are things that a whole system can provide, not just a school psychologist, not just a school counselor. Um, those kinds of things, know that there's some system-wide things that you can be doing that can really help kids be successful. And then what can happen is that the role of the school psychologist, instead of just being a diagnostician and an interventionist for one student at a time, you end up being able to be a problem solver for multiple students at a time. And so my role really transformed from just being an individual a school psychologist doing one, you know, one evaluation at a time, uh, one diagnostic, you know, diagnostic uh, approach at a time to this idea that we'd say, okay, here's our whole system of kids. We know that there's this amount of kids that are having a hard time with being able to accept no or being able to, you know, play games out on the playground. What can we do for this whole system of kids? So it's not necessarily that as a rural school psychologist, I can't possibly do every intervention myself, but I can teach those around us and those around me to be able to be effective interventionists and to provide those interventions. And then my role becomes a little bit more of a consultant role where I keep track of how things are going. Give us a couple examples of what you mean, some real examples of what you mean in, in affecting all kids. Yeah. So some real examples would be things like in our school district, we had things like we taught uh, behavioral expectations to all students. So we would say things like in our school district, we want all students to be safe, to be responsible and to be respectful. And so systematically, what we would do is that we would teach those expectations. Perhaps they would be taught uh, by your teacher. We also might have assembly kind of formats. We also might even have 
uh, we actually would have station rotations where students would go through the different places in our school and we'd talk about how are you safe and responsible and respectful in these different places. And so those would be like a universal thing. We also would reinforce those kids that are doing the expectations that we, that we hope them, for them to do. So we would do things like provide reinforcement. That might be, uh, we might have a token economy system. We also might have a lot of positive praise uh, for students who are exhibiting appropriate behavior. So that's like a tier one. Everybody can do that. So uh, tier two, or what we call maybe a more targeted support, would be things like we're noticing that we have a whole group of kids that are having a really hard time on the playground being able to get along with each other. You know, perhaps they're pushing each other uh, on the slide. You know, they, they are having a hard time being able to play games. So perhaps there's, you know, five or six kids in that group. So we would meet as a team and say, okay, this is the group of kids that really could use a little bit of extra help. And so let's think about some strategies that we could use. So perhaps for that crowd of kids, we would do things like being able to teach some conflict resolution, doing like direct skill instruction. And so that small group might get a little bit more, right? And so they would get that and we'd monitor their progress to see, you know, how is it going on the playground? Are things getting better? And so for that particular, you know, crowd of students, we'd say, you know, are we having any more office discipline referrals? Or do we have teachers, you know, indicating that they're still having a lot of conflict after recess? And then perhaps from that crowd of kids, maybe there's one student that's having a significantly harder time being able to cope with those everyday demands of school. So maybe uh, maybe this is this is what I kind of call my my chair throwing kids. And I have had many chair throwing kids. And so perhaps that's the student that really gets frustrated, not only at recess, but gets frustrated when you give them a math worksheet, but also frustrated when we Ooh. try to get them to do reading, you know, that kind of thing. Perhaps there's an underlying mental health disorder that, that is maybe diagnosed or undiagnosed, right? And so for that kid, we really need to meet as a group. And we would talk about things like what kind of effective strategies that can we really support this kid on all areas of the spectrum, not just at recess. He needs more than, you know, just uh, direct instruction about social skills at recess. Uh, you know, he or she would need more uh, intensive wraparound supports. Maybe they have an individual reinforcement system. We're teaching them individual skills. Perhaps even this student might check, or check in with somebody each day, monitor their progress to see, are you making, you know, gains towards work completion? Uh, are you making gains towards being able to use those coping skills we're teaching you? But the idea is that more and more uh, identified need We'd have more and more levels of support for those kids. So that's the kind of thing that I've had to do as a rural school psychologist is that, uh, again, I can't work with every single kid. So I have to develop systems to be able to address those needs. Yeah. Now, do you think any of this has changed or has, has have we added anything to this recently with some of the, the real violence that has occurred in different parts of the country just unexpectedly, whether it's Columbine or other places? I think that the landscape of, of violence, the landscape of untreated mental health problems has certainly come to light in these last months. Uh, I can really see it in terms of school shooting violence. I think about myself. I can remember when Columbine happened. I can remember uh, what I felt like. I felt like all of a sudden... Uh, is school a safe place for me to be? Um, do we 
Do we have all the things that we need in place? I think about those response systems that first happened after Columbine that were, were really designed, you know, think about all of a sudden we were locking school doors. So we had to have people paged in. Uh, we've also have a lot of schools that have done a lot of things in terms of safety, even putting bulletproof glass on the entryways uh, to try to prevent uh, intruders from getting in. So I think that the landscape has changed in that before perhaps we thought school violence, mental health problems, perhaps that's something that existed somewhere else, maybe a big city. But yeah. I think now we're understanding that those kinds of violent acts happen in everywhere. They yeah. happen everywhere across America, not just rural America, not just urban America, not just suburban America, but it can happen anywhere. And so I think that the, the conversation has changed in that it's not if this is going to happen to us, it's just when. And when it happens, are we ready? And so I think that this idea, you know, there's certainly a lot of uh, political conflict about things like, you know, how to address violence. You know, we have a whole line of people that talk about gun safety. They also talk about this idea of mental, mental health. And I think that uh, for us to be really systematic, we have to have a pretty honest conversation about the idea that even if we're not screening for mental health, even if we're not seeing all of the diagnosable mental health disorders, I think we do have to know that they are there. Uh, and, and really, the thing about schools, and in particular, the thing about rural schools, they can be a vital piece of the a pie in terms of intervention. Like they have this opportunity because you might be the only mental health resource that this kid would have for hundreds of miles. And so you have this opportunity to be this one-stop shop uh, so, so that kids not only could achieve academically, but also could be more successful in terms of coping with mental health problems. Well, I just want to take a second here to, to thank today's sponsor, University of South Dakota School of Education, which I believe is celebrating 90 years of teaching uh, the next generation of education professionals. And the University of South Dakota certainly prides itself on being an institution committed to engaging in best practices in teaching and to address the significant educational needs in rural areas. And I don't know if you know much about this, Carrie, but through a year-long residency programs, faculty actually engage in research and best practices in rural settings, and the university strives to be the program that trains the future workforce, whether that is teachers or administrators or school psychologists. They get a chance to, to actually train and meet the unique needs in some rural settings. So, Carrie, why don't we, why don't we talk a little bit about sort of what, what are the reasons that people come to rural areas to be a practitioner. So I'm sure the rural setting is much different from an urban setting. Talk a little bit about making the practice in rural areas appealing to practitioners. Well, thanks for that question, John. I think that having been a rural practitioner of school psychology, I will tell you that, that some of the things that are some of the best things about being a rural practitioner is this idea that you really have a lot of autonomy. Again, because you are perhaps the only highly qualified mental and behavioral health provider for miles around, you can kind of take the time to create your own role. 
you can decide and and kind of implement systems of of prevention and response that that are really unique to your own strengths and and really unique to how you see your role in a school setting. You know, certainly the other piece of it and probably one of my favorite parts of being a rural mental health provider is that you get to create relationships with with families and with systems that really do last a, a very long time. I will tell you that as a practitioner, there were students that I perhaps would have diagnosed with a disability at a younger age. I had one student in particular, and I always think about him because he was a student that had a hard time. And I diagnosed him with, with autism when he was in second grade. And I have been able to watch him uh, across the grades. And I've been able to be a part of his intervention systems. I've been able to watch him go from a student that had a significantly hard time coping. Perhaps he was using threatening language to others. Uh, he also had a harder time uh, being able to get through things like competitive games. And I've gotten to watch him grow. And now he is a student that is almost graduating from high school, who is uh, someone who is getting really good grades, someone who is college bound. And I think that this idea that I've gotten to watch this student go from an area of not being very successful in school, experiencing a lot of school failure, to watch him actually experience a significant amount of success. That might be the critical feature and the absolute best part about being a school psychologist in a rural setting is that you get to be a part of the whole thing. Excellent. Can you talk a little bit about the year-long residency program through the University of, of uh, South Dakota? Yeah, I do know a little bit. Uh, so basically what is happening is that one of the cool things about what's happening at the University of South Dakota is that they're spending a lot of time doing uh, community partnerships. And so it's not just about saying, we're going to give you this many student teachers and we're going to have you uh, have them in our in your school setting and then just send them back to us and then we'll graduate them and then they'll go on their merry way. This idea is that we want to create partnerships with communities uh, so that we can create these year-long residencies that, that have people really become part of your community. So they want to stay. Uh, so the year-long residency uh, has really been a, kind of a critical feature of our School of Education. What we're really trying to do is find strong candidates and then put them in teaching positions where they're needed most. Uh, we are building a coalition of these rural communities to be able to get these uh, teachers who are in high need. If you take a look at our critical, we have a critical shortage of teachers in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. We also have a critical shortage of school psychologists in South Dakota. And so what we're really trying to do is we're saying, you know, let's send some of our, our brightest and best, uh, certainly some of our most highly educated, great candidates to these communities that need them most. And then let's provide them support. Um, and support is in terms of supervisory support. You know, we want to try to foster some, some peer support and really support within the community so that now I not only feel like I'm somebody who's just coming to the community to do a task, but I'm transforming that to say, I am part of this community. And what I'm doing is making a significant impact 
uh, on the lives of children in this community. And it's something that I want to do and I want to stay uh, to be able to continue to do that. So that's something that we really have been working on. Uh, certainly, there are a lot of people at the School of Education who are doing a lot of research and practice into this. And, and I just commend as someone who is new coming into this uh, institution. It's something that's one of our banner projects. And, and it offers me a lot of pride to say we are really trying to do some innovative things to try to address teacher shortages. Yeah, that is so important. There are shortages in just about every state and particularly in rural areas. So if anyone wanted more information about the program at the University of South Dakota, you can log on to www.usd.edu slash education to find out more information. That's www.usd.edu slash education. So let's get back to uh, a couple questions here, Carrie, before we have to wrap up the program. Let me just ask you, what, do you, what are practitioners doing in rural America to address some of the systemic needs that, are, that you see in mental health, whether it's generally speaking or in schools? Some of the things that I've been seeing, uh, there's been a lot of people building coalitions. So I, I do see that although the political climate at this time feels a little tumultuous, uh, certainly it doesn't take very long for anyone to spend time on the Internet or on Twitter to see that there's a lot of things out there that feel a little um, feel a little tumultuous or feel a little uncertain. And so certainly that's something that that is contributing to some of this dialogue. But I will actually say that I, I think that some of the dialogue that we're having is, is a really powerful dialogue. Uh, I just went to the Center for School-Based Mental Health Conference that was was in National Harbor uh, in Washington, D.C. area. And what I was struck by the most was this idea that there were school-based social workers, school-based uh, school counselors, school psychologists. There was even community mental health people all centering around this same topic of what can we do? How can we use existing policies, things like ESSA? How can we use existing funding streams, things like Title IV Part A? You know, how can we use them together to be able to systematically have an impact on on you know mental health for kids? And this was things, these were across sectors. This was not just rural America, not just urban America, not just suburban America. This is for all kids in America. You know, how can we have a, a conversation that would say, if a kid has a significant need, there will be a way for them to have access to yeah. mental health supports. And you bring up a good, a good topic here. So what, what impact do some of the policies such as the new ESSA policy have for mental and behavioral health providers? So when you look at the landscape of ESSA, uh, what we know, well, first of all, we know that it is designed to replace No Child Left Behind. And so it's yeah. Every Student Succeeds Act. And part of the policy was really to try to transform this federal uh, push to uh, make sure no ch children were left behind to more of a local control, more of a state controlled uh, educational policy. And so there's a few areas in which when we think about mental health providers that are really critical for us to think about. Uh, one area is that uh, mental health providers are actually written into two different areas. They're considered to be school based mental health services providers and then also specialized instructional support personnel. 
And so the way that that can be helpful is that when we have terminology that says that we should be in schools and that we can provide these systematic supports, that's helpful for the conversation to say, not only is it important, but it's written into policy. The other thing is that now within the law, historically, we were just looking at things like um, accountability in terms of academic achievement, and then also just in terms of things like chronic absenteeism. So now written into ESSA is that you would have uh, not only two measures of student achievement, so one of them has to be proficiency on a state test. Uh, Also, though, you need to have one indicator of school quality. And that's a really interesting conversation to have. So the idea is that it's not just about your academic achievement that defines if you're a successful school or not. There's also something about the quality of your school that gives rise to this idea that you are a successful school. Uh, Now, in the state plans, I will tell you, they've all now been submitted at the end of September. Uh, We are a little disappointed that there wasn't uh, explicit uh, indicators of school quality that were really beyond this idea of chronic absenteeism. But I think that the fact that it was written into policy gives us this, uh, I call it a sliver, a sliver for which we can say school quality is important. And it's so important that it's written into policy. And so if we are to look at school quality, we need to consider things like school climate. We need to consider how we're providing comprehensive uh, behavioral and mental health supports. So that's one area that it's written into uh, educational policy. The other places, of course, some of our more uh, telling places is where the funding is. And so the place where mental health providers can probably have some of the most impact is looking at our title funding. Uh, So I will tell you, I am no uh, policy Uh, funding expert. So I am not sitting on the appropriations committee, Uh, but I I will tell you that I've come to know a little bit about Title IV Part A. And so don't ask me about all the other title funding streams, but uh, Title yeah, don't ask me. <laughs> um, but Title IV <laughs> Part A has been something that I spent a lot of time thinking about because you can use those funds for three key areas. You can have access to and opportunities for a well-rounded education. You can have safe and supported conditions for learning and then access to personalized learning experiences supported by technology. And so that funding stream really gives us this opportunity as mental health providers to say, uh, let's use that to really engage in systematic prevention. That's interesting that you brought up the idea of an opportunity with, with ESSA and, and funding and technology. Can you expand upon that? Yeah. And so uh, at least 20% of these funds have to be used on improving student mental and behavioral health, school climate, and school safety. And so this gives rise to this idea that we can take a look at service delivery systems. Now, embedding technology into service delivery systems certainly could be a whole other podcast, but there is there are ways that you could take a look at that, you know, things like teleservices to try to do um, maybe some intensive mental and behavioral health uh, service delivery. You also can talk about things like trauma-informed practices, prevention for bullying, uh, harassment prevention, social-emotional learning, you know, things of that nature. So what's cool is that 
I, mm-hmm. I often say that uh, we have to kind of follow where the money is. And so when yeah. when we start having these conversations, now the conversation is actually written into some policy and there's some funding there. Uh, so I think that there could be a, a way in which this could be effective for schools to use that funding stream, even though it's pretty small, uh, to be able to, to just do a few things. You know, certainly you don't have to do everything. Um, but certainly start with some small things that you can do in your school to really improve mental health. Thank you. That's about all the time we have for this episode, but I certainly want to want to thank you for joining us and uh, just let people know if they want more information on rural issues, uh, just email us and, and let us know what else we need to talk about on this show. You can email us at ruralmatterspodcasts at gmail.com. And we'd appreciate it if you would rate us, rate this podcast and other podcasts on iTunes as well. Tell your friends and colleagues um, about the podcast so they can join us. And um, the last thing I want to do certainly is thank you, Dr. Carrie Oyen, for joining us and for an enlightening conversation. We hope maybe we'll have you back again sometime because this is obviously an important topic in many rural communities. Well, thank you so much, John. I really appreciate this opportunity. And I do want to leave you with one quote that tends to keep me going through the day. It's a quote by Hale. And the quote is, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And I will not let what I cannot do get in the way of what I can do. So I do want you to know that listeners that are out there, you might not be able to have a systematic change overnight, but there might be one thing that you can do that would have a significant impact on the life of a child that is struggling with a mental health disorder. So don't let those things that you cannot do get in the way. So thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor for me to talk about matters that are so close to my heart. And I wish all of our rural educators so, so much positivity and and well wishes as you as you embark on this journey so thank you so much excellent thank you so much i want to just say the rural matters podcast is produced by michael levin epstein and susan sempelis i want to thank you again dr oyen for being our guest and i want to thank everyone for listening we will see you next time on the rural matters podcast have a great day everyone